We are in Nehemiah chapter 11 this evening. And actually, I have a surprise for you this evening. We are not just in Nehemiah chapter 11. We are also in Nehemiah chapter 12. That's right, you heard it first here. We are going to get through two chapters of Nehemiah this evening. Now, if you were reading ahead in your Bible this week... That's not a test. You don't have to raise your hand. Uh, But if you were reading ahead in your Bible this week, maybe you understand why we are rolling two chapters together. There are a lot of names coming up for us. Now, these names hold significance, and we'll go through uh, some of those that do. But uh, let me encourage you, as we're going through a series, uh, just to go ahead and read what it is that we're going to be preaching from. I, I can assure you next, well, not next Sunday night, of course, we've got God and Country Day, but the following Sunday night, we'll be back in Nehemiah chapter 13. And so I encourage you to read ahead, to know where we're at, to know where we're going, and just uh, let the Lord speak to you in that way. Uh, Nehemiah is, and, and many of you are familiar already, but Nehemiah is chronologically the last history book in the Old Testament. Um, and I know it comes kind of early, it falls before Psalms, but uh, historically we understand that it is the last chronological history book um, in, the book of the, or in the Old Testament. Um, and so there's a lot of significance in what's said. After the events of Nehemiah, there are 400 years... Of, of silence from, from historically, from, uh, and we can read ahead through the prophets and get a little bit of history and we can kind of follow through those things, but it is the last historical book that we find. Now this remnant of the Jews that we've been following through the book of Nehemiah has completed the walls. They've dealt with the controversy of the people around them that have stood to uh, really push them away and to kind of uh, vaunt themselves up against what God is trying to do. They've dealt with those naysayers. They've also uh, made some important decisions as people. And over the last few weeks and uh, over the last few chapters even, we've discussed how uh, people of Israel have come together. And they've made some important decisions together as a group. And they've started worshiping God together and reading the Bible together and doing important things as a group that should be happening. Now, to protect the temple and to protect the city walls that have been built there in Jerusalem, um, the the city of Jerusalem is in need of people who are going to live in it. Um, And there's a reason why the people are not quite ready to live there. And we'll talk through that here in just a second. Um, But it's not quite as simple as it seems. Uh, You may think, oh, well, why don't they just have a few people move in? Well, we'll talk about why that was an issue. Um, And we'll discuss why certain things were uh, becoming a problem and why, right here at the beginning of Nehemiah chapter 11, they've got to go through and select people to stay in the city. Um, Now, chapters 11 and 12 uh, cover a lot of names. I'm not going to read all of them. Praise the Lord. Can I get an amen? There's some crazy ones in there. If you would like to read them afterwards, uh, I'll let you read them to me out in the foyer. But uh, for the meantime, we're going to start in Nehemiah chapter 11. You may remain seated for this evening. Um, But we're going to start in verses 1 and 2. So Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Let's go go ahead and get started here. Uh, And let's pray before we read. Lord, we love you. Thank you for all you do for us. Lord, as we come to the most important time of any service, we pray that you would speak. God, these are your people. Lord, they need to hear from you, and I pray, God, that you would speak to them tonight. Lord, in whatever area that you're working on their lives, I pray that you would move the sermon that direction, that you would have your will done. Lord, that you'd separate me from uh, what I might say personally, and instead, God, keep me focused on you. Lord, help me to speak as you would speak. I pray that you give us wisdom, Lord, as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, And the rulers of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people also cast lots to bring one of the ten 
to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine parts to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men that willingly offered themselves to dwell in Jerusalem. So what we're seeing is that the rulers are dwelling in Jerusalem, those people who are in charge, but the rest of the people are casting lots or choosing by chance, if you will, uh, the tenth of the people that are going to live there. Um, and and the, the people blessed, the, the Bible word for that means that they praised with bent knee. People were literally so excited and thankful that people were willingly offering themselves uh, for this great task, that they were praising with bent knee. Uh, those people who willingly volunteered themselves to live in Jerusalem. By the way, let me say this, in the Christian life there are blessings for those who are willing. Uh, if you've ever had kids... Um, I have two now. My oldest is two. My youngest is six months. Here's what I found out. My two-year-old is a girl, and she's naturally more moody than my six-month-old boy. It's just kind of a thing. Okay? Anybody had children of both? You understand? Okay. Um, and what's interesting to me about this is that Candace, my oldest, will go through some phases where she, doesn't, she wants to be independent. She doesn't want to have help. Right? She's climbing steps that are taller than her, but she wants to do it on her own. What's, what's going on with that? I don't know. Uh, that's the human condition, I guess. We just want to be capable of doing more than sometimes we're even capable of. But um, what's interesting to me is once in a while, I notice this in Candace, and I'll, I'll say something to her like, hey, do you want to you come sit with me? And she'll say, no. Really? Like, I'm dad. I, I'm daddy. You, you don't want to come sit with me? And she'll say, no. And she'll go play with her toys. Well, inevitably, and I, I'm not sure how this happens, but you can pray about it because for some reason this seems to occur. Anytime I get rejected, it seems like ice cream just comes to mind. You know, like I want ice cream. And now that we have Carter, six-month-old Carter, um, I figure, well, Carter has no problem sitting with me. And so maybe, maybe Carter would like to have some ice cream. And so inevitably we're going to make a show of Carter getting a bite or two of ice cream and uh, showing Candace that it is good to be willing to sit with her daddy. Uh, and so I don't know how it always works out like that, but Candace has been getting the memo, and that's what I've noticed. And so we make sure that Candace gets some ice cream once in a while as well. But we're working through some of those things, and so I, I hope you'll pray for us. But uh, do you realize that God treats us this way? Do you realize that God rewards us for being willing? We, we are God's children. Uh, by the way, that, there, there's a reason why the Bible uses that imagery of a, of a father and his children. Because God wants us to respond willingly. God wants us to want to spend time with him. Hey, look at, look at Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 1, where he's talking to the children of Israel through the prophet Isaiah. And here's, here's what he says. Listen to it. Come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat of the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. That's, that's God. That, that, that's a picture of fatherhood. That's a picture of God and His children wanting them to be willing to do what He asked them to do. Now, Candace, obviously, is far too young for any great task. But what I'm trying to train into her is that willingness. And God, likewise, in our lives. Hey, each of us is in a different spot. We're each dealing with different things. And we're each uh, uh, encountering different parts of life at a different time. But let me say this. God, hey, God wants a willing servant. 
And God wants you to be willing. And so wherever you find yourself on the spectrum, let me say this, God wants you to be willing. Um, now, I, I will mention here, I will mention, uh, in Sunday school the last few weeks, we've been talking about Revelation, and um, on Wednesday nights, we started a series where we were, uh, uh, sep- we were leaving the auditorium. You've noticed the young adults are leaving the auditorium on Wednesday nights. It's not because we're mutinying, don't worry. Uh, but instead, we're going to uh, study through the book of Ephesians. And uh, in this study, we've gone through a few different things, and one of the topics that's come up recently and came up again this morning was enmity. Um, now, enmity is where God uh, and our relationship fall apart. Now, as you know, if you've accepted Christ as your personal Savior, uh, we have assurance once saved, always saved, right? Say that with me. Once saved, always saved. Okay, good. We're waking up. Good job. Uh, now, if you understand that phrase, we understand that we have assurance of our salvation. That assurance comes from a few things. The Bible says, no man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. Okay, once we're there, God has us. We also understand that we are sealed by who? The Holy Spirit. Look at you, Bible scholars. Look at you. Uh, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit seals us. The Bible says that He is our earnest. So if you were to go buy a house and you were to put some money down on the house, maybe some possessions, maybe to deed over something else in order to act as earnest, the Bible says that God literally offered the Holy Spirit, a part of Himself, as the earnest for our inheritance. And so as we get to heaven... God promises that we're going to get to heaven and gives us, the Holy Spirit, a piece of himself to say, if I don't come through on my end of the bargain, then I will go to hell with you. Isn't that interesting? Now, where we fall apart often, and where this this topic of assurance kind of, uh, some people really struggle with it, is where does sin enter into this? Now, we know as Christians, we are saved We know that we ought to do things right, and and more so, we have almost even a greater responsibility to do right. And yet, somehow, sometimes it's just hard. And our sin nature gets in the way, and and things push us in the wrong directions. And before we know it, we've uh, acted upon our lust, and uh, we've we've given in to those things. And so, what do we do in those situations? Well, the Bible tells us that uh, instead of separation from God, which is what we experienced before before we were saved, instead of being separated from God, instead we see the word enmity. Now, the word enmity refers to the relationship that comes between a parent and a child who's misbehaving. Uh, Candace, just the other day, uh, had a problem where she needed to go to the bathroom and did not tell us that she needed to go to the bathroom. Now, she's only two, but she is mostly potty trained. I say mostly because of little accidents like this. Uh, times when she knew that she needed to go and chose not to let us know. If you've been a parent, you know how that goes. Um, and so we're working through these things. Now, if you've been to our house before, we have uh, hard floors. And so, honestly, not a big deal. You, you understand, like, from a parent perspective, she stood where she was, did not go to the facilities, okay, but on a cleanup scale, I mean, we're talking like a five out of a hundred. Like, really not a big deal. I'll grab the paper towels, squeegee the floor real quick. We're done. Okay? You know, really simple. And so, the only thing that comes to mind as a parent in this kind of situation is, really? Real? Like, you didn't tell me? You didn't 
share with me that you were having a problem? You know, we could have just avoided this whole thing. Why didn't today go a little differently? Now, do you realize, from God's perspective, that's how he sees much of our issues? There's no sin too great for God. No sin is so big that God says, that's a mess I can't do anything about. No. God can handle any sin or any mess that we create, but what happens is the relationship needs to take some time apart. And I don't mean that because God needs a break. I mean that because we need a chance for our heart to get right. So here's what happens. Candace doesn't use the bathroom where she's supposed to. Now we've got a problem. And again, from a parenting perspective, I'm not upset at all. Accidents are going to happen. I realize that. This is the teaching opportunity. But I can't just be happy about it, right? Then I'm training her to be happy about doing something in the wrong place. So I've, I've got to act the part, okay? Which means that I've got to interact with her and help her understand that what she did was wrong. So there are punishments that we put in place for these sorts of things, okay? Now, as the punishments continue, okay, she has the choice to either say, I'm sorry, right? Which are two of the most beautiful words to any parent. Or she can say, no. Now we've had both. Let me tell you. The ones that end in I'm sorry are so much smoother than the ones that don't. Okay, Some of your parents are nodding your head. You know exactly how this goes. Okay, But just like a father to his children, God is the same. And so when we respond the way that we're supposed to, God promises to bless us for being willing and for doing what he has asked us to do. You know, nothing as a parent makes me happier than seeing my children happy. Uh, every Sunday morning, if you walk by at about 8.30, if you walk by the gym at about 8.30, you'll see me, my family, and the majority of our bus workers that aren't running late standing in the foyer of the, uh, in the, foyer of the gym. And we're all waiting there, and we wait there until the bus pulls up, and then we get on the bus, and we're supposed to leave by 8.40 every Sunday morning. Um, and so in that process, Candace, as she's gotten a little older, has come to realize that sometimes... If she looks carefully, she'll find change left over in the vending machines. Now, what she doesn't realize is that there's a reason why change gets left in the vending machines. Okay? She hasn't put two and two together yet. The, the change that gets left in the vending machines always gets transported to the church in, in daddy's pocket. But she hasn't figured that part out yet, so don't tell her. Okay? Instead, I know how much she enjoys looking through the vending machines. She, there's four of them, and she's going to go check every single one of them. She's going to check every one. Do you know how much it excites her to find what she calls a penny, even if it's not a penny? This morning she found a quarter, and she went, It's a penny! Do you correct her or do you not? I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out, but... No, that's a quarter. Yeah, anyway, and then she was confused this morning. She thought I said Carter, and she started calling it a Carter because that's her brother's name. We're, we're having all kinds of problems in the Howell household, so pray for us. But, uh, man, can I say, nothing makes me happier as a parent than to make my children happy. That's where God is. But do you realize that God sometimes is a result of sin in our life, as a result of unwillingness, as a result of us pushing back against what God would have for us, sometimes has to withhold His hand of blessing in order to teach us something? 
Sometimes he has to allow chastisement. By the way, never condemnation. There's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Never condemnation, but chastisement in order to bring us back into the path. And so in our lives, in our lives, God is looking for a willing servant. I hope you'll plan and choose to be one even today. Now, why didn't the people want to live in Jerusalem? Well, let's take a look. Uh, First of all, danger. Okay, A new city, the city of Jerusalem, which, by the way, was a hot point a few years before that. The city of Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. There's a lot of people who are interested in Jerusalem. And so there's already great danger in what's happening there. By the way, not a lot of people live there. Um, so, some estimates, uh, I've got that later in my notes, but uh, there, there are not a lot of people living in Jerusalem at this time. And so with those things in mind, there is some great danger to moving to this prime target, the capital of Israel. Also, the other problem, comfort. How many of you have ever been camping? How many of you have ever been primitive camping? Okay, big difference. Primitive camping. That's what the people here in Israel were doing. So every year, um, Brother TJ, myself, and usually uh, Brother Tim Frost, who will come in from Idaho, uh, have a a hunting trip that we do down to Summer Lake, Oregon. It's about a four-hour drive. Um, We go down there. The uh, opening of duck season... Somehow in Oregon, I don't know how this works out, but it it works out for us, so I'm not complaining. Uh, Duck season up here starts late October, and whatever date it starts up here, it starts a week earlier in Summer Lake. And so we just got to get ahead. We got to go down there, get one extra day of hunting in, and so we always drive down. Um, And we end up camping. Now, it is truck camping, which we understand there's a difference between primitive camping and truck camping. But inevitably, we're sleeping in this parking lot, okay, from our trucks, and in Summer Lake, if you've ever been to Summer Lake, there's one gas station. There's one gas station in this entire city. I, I can't even call it a city. It's a town. It's a village. I, I, I don't know what it is. Is it a hamlet? I don't know. Uh, but in this place, there is one location where if you were struggling and you did not have something, you could go there. But otherwise, at Summer Lake, if you didn't bring it with you, you just don't have it. Hey, in Jerusalem, it was like that, except there's no gas station. There's no weekly semi that comes through and brings all of the supplies for everyone. And so the people of, of Jerusalem, these people, these Israelites who have helped build the wall, they've helped build the temple, they've been a part of this whole rebuilding process, they're now faced with this great dilemma. My family and I have been living in a farm a mile or two away, and we've been living there happily for a number of years. Do we come back here and live? Or do we stay where we're comfortable? And so the children of Israel are facing, first of all, great danger, but they're also facing great comfort and the lack of comfort. Has comfort, let me ask you this, has comfort ever kept you from doing what you know you should? Has the desire for comfort ever forced you in a direction that maybe you came to regret? You know, in almost any age, the challenge to set aside our personal freedoms for the sake of the group is often met with a weak response. Any time that people have to uh, set aside something for the good of the group, generally speaking, you're going to have a weak response to that. By the way, do you realize that principle applies to your personal standards and convictions? You don't know where in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does God tell us to develop our standards and convictions based on our own thoughts. Do you realize that? Now, here's the thing. I, I mean, 
I'm as opinionated as they come. I have my opinions about standards and convictions. But do you realize nowhere in the Bible does God say he cares what I think about it? He doesn't. It's incredible. I want to write him a letter and say, God, why didn't you think of this? No. God knew what he was doing. God doesn't make our standards and convictions about us. Instead, what does he make about it? Or what does he make these things about? They say, the Bible says, that our standards and convictions should always be developed between the lens of two things. God. God first. What would God have me do? What does God want me to do in this situation? How does God want me to dress? Where does God want me to go? What things does God want me to do? That's number one. The second thing that we're supposed to base our standards and convictions off of are others. What will help others? What will be a great testimony for Christ in the lives of others? What do others look for in someone who is a Christian? What do others need me to be? And so our standards and convictions are never based on what we think. They're always based on God and others. You know, uh, the only place in the Bible where people were, uh, specifically the Bible recorded that people were doing what was right in their own eyes, was in Judges, right before God sent another judge, because every man was doing that which was right in his own eyes. By the way, those people were living in apostasy. Those people were worshiping idols. Those people were doing anything and everything that their heart desired. Does that sound like a, a country that you may be aware of today? Does it sound like a world that you might be aware of today, where people are just living based on what they think? And hey, as Christians, it's easy to devolve into the cultural mindset that says you can do what you think is right. But as Christians, we're called to something much higher. We are called not to ourselves, not to what I think is right, not to my opinions, not to my beliefs. We are called, first of all, to what God would have us to do, and secondly, what do others need from me? Now, maybe this is an area where you're struggling. Maybe you have some specific thoughts about your own standards and convictions and you feel very strongly about a certain thing this way. Let me say, I'm not here to tell you what to think. Remember, that's not my job. But I am here to say, if you'll read through Romans chapter 12, you'll read through 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, you'll get a very clear picture of what God would have you to do. Let me encourage you, if, you are, if you've never ta- thought about this topic of, of standards and convictions, or maybe, like many young adults, you're going through a period of time where you're questioning some things that you've been taught. You, you were forced a certain way maybe your entire life, but now you're dealing with things in a, in a, in a new and in, in a, 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 an area of life where you've got all of the freedom to do whatever it is that you want, and now you've got to decide how you feel about a certain thing. Can I encourage you? Take a few weeks. Do a Bible study. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. We're not going to go there tonight, but let me encourage you to do that on your own time. Now, uh, I said Romans 12. I meant Romans 14. Forgive me. Let's look at, Romans, or, uh, let's look at Nehemiah 11. Back to verse 3. Now, these are the chief of the province that dwelt in Jerusalem. But in the cities of Judah dwelt everyone in his possession in their cities. Okay, those places where they lived. To wit, Israel the priests and the Levites, the Nethanims or the servants to the Levites, and the children of Solomon's servants. So in, in the cities in Judah, the, this district that they were in, everyone dwelt in his own place or property. Now, verses, uh, verse 4 through verse 36, 
These are all the names. And we're going to skip this area, but let me just tell you what's happening. Verses 4 through 19 lists everybody that's in Jerusalem. So based on the number of men who moved back to the city, uh, a man named Howard Voss estimates about 10,000 Jews moved back into Jerusalem for a total population of about 100,000 that are now living in Jerusalem after this verse. Verses 20 through 36 of chapter 11 record some of the people who are outside of Israel. These people are listed and split into groups based on their role. And a few of those that I have listed here, you'll see overseers, people who looked over the the necessary things that were happening around the children of Israel. We've got the priests. We have the mighty men. The Levites, which are are priests, really, with specific jobs and things that they had to do on a regular basis. Uh, We have porters, singers, counselors, Can I say, if you are a Christian, you make up the body of Christ. And here in Nehemiah chapter 11, you'll see a list of people who represented the body of Christ in an Old Testament fashion. People who had all specific duties. They had things that they were responsible for. uh, uh, Specific areas that they were uh, especially gifted in or that God had uh, equipped them for a specific purpose. And in these things, we see a picture of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you'll turn there with me. I want to show you a few verses about the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse 12 with me. The Bible says, For as the body is one and hath many members... And all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So Christ, together, represented by the little parts, each of us, represent God. Keep going. Verses, uh, let's look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where were the healing? Hearing. If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. So everyone has a job. Everyone has a specific role. And by the way, everyone is important. Hey, if you're a Christian, you have an important role in the body of Christ. You have something specific that God needs. God needs you to do in your local church. He has a job for you. And every job is important. Keep reading. Look at verse 21. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble or necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. Now, let, let me say this. You may be sitting in your pew and you've never gotten involved. You've never served in a church. You've never done anything for the cause of Christ. Let me encourage you. You may be sitting there and thinking, well, I, I can't preach a sermon. I, I can't lead a children's program. I can't run a bus route. I can, and you may have a list of things, a litany of things, if you will, of things that you're considering right now that you say, God, I just can't do any of those things. Can I say that every job is important? Every single job that you can think of. Hey, there is honor in every part of God's body. In the body of Christ, every part has honor. So from the, from the, the toilet scrubber to, to Pastor Mutchler and beyond, there is 
There is honor, there is need, there is desire, there is importance in every single aspect of every single job in the body of Christ. And let me encourage you, if you've never gotten involved in a big way, to consider doing that. Look at verse 26 and verse 27. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members... In particular, look at verse 31. I show you, but I'm sorry, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. By the way, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. What comes next? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the, I heard, love chapter. Yes, the love chapter, the more excellent way. And so as we are interacting with the Christians around us, as we are interacting with the other members of the body of Christ, We have a couple of responsibilities. We just read a few of them, but let me just list them briefly here. Three things we're supposed to suffer with. When people are struggling, we're supposed to come alongside them and suffer with them. We're supposed to rejoice with people who are rejoicing. And we're supposed to, the more excellent way, we're supposed to love. We're supposed to love the people around us. By the way, do we realize the body of Christ extends beyond the borders of Grandview Baptist Church? There are people around our country, people around our world. They're part of the body of Christ. They may go to a different church in Oregon City. They may go to a different church in, uh, in, in Virginia or, or Texas or, or wherever they've gone. They may be uh, in a completely different place and may never interact with us on a regular basis. But those people are still a part of the body of Christ. You know it's a detriment to Christians to think that God's body starts and ends in this building? Man. As, as, as God sees the work being done around the world, let us also as Christians see the way that God is working in the lives of other Christians in around the world, in other cities, in other villages, even in this city and with other Christians here. Whatever God has placed you, wherever God has placed you within the body of Christ, would you reflect on what God has for you to do? Carl George says this, the things in the church that people usually complain about reveal the person's area of spiritual gift. Think about that one for a second. The things in the church that people usually complain about reveal the person's area of spiritual gift. What have you complained about recently? This isn't confession time. What have you complained about recently? James chapter 2, verse 17 says, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Hey, maybe you were driving down Highway 213, and you noticed as you came to the stoplight at Leland that the lawn is not mowed. Now, there's a reason for that. Our lawnmower's been broken. We're working on it. The process is in, in motion. We're getting there. Okay, But maybe that's something that really bothers you. Can I encourage you to get involved and doing something, if you look, if you notice something, can I encourage you to, to, to do something about it? Hey, you, you're walking through our hallways on the way to the nursery where I'm at every service, right? Uh, and you're on your way there, and you notice there's a smudge on the wall. <gasps> Horror of horrors. Maybe, maybe, if you came tomorrow, I would find you a paintbrush. Okay. Just think about it. If God has pointed out something to you as a part of the body of Christ that needs some help, 
maybe God wants you to pick up the slack in that area and help do that. No, 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 I'm, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus. I'm not trying to, to poke at you or try to, try to force you to do anything that God wouldn't have you to do. I'm just simply saying, if you notice something that you think, man, this is a problem, can I encourage you to take part in being the solution to that issue? Hey, I, there's, there's this particular thing that's been on my heart for a while now. I've been looking for a volunteer who could help with our live stream. Now, the, the men up in the, the sound booth and the live stream, these guys do a great job, Brother Colby, Brother Roy, and many others. But there's one job that we've never been able to adequately fill in our live stream, and that's for an audio person in our live stream. They sit there with headphones on. All they do is they help mix the sermon for the people at the live stream. Now, maybe you're watching online. Maybe you sit at home sometimes and you're watching the live stream and you think, man, this does not sound as good as it should. Come see me. Come see me, okay? Come see me, all right? We'll, we'll find a spot for you. Don't you worry. But that's something I've actively been looking for. Hey, look, if you see an issue in the body of Christ, do something about it. Hey, if you see a problem, do something to help that problem. Hey, maybe you don't have a lot of time. But do you have the finances to maybe put a little bit of put a, put a little effort into what it is that God has pointed out to you? Let me encourage you as a part of the body of Christ. Let's band together. Let's be a part of the solution of helping reach this world for Christ. By the way, let me also mention it is a it is a detriment. It is a detriment to uh, the cause of Christ for Christians to stay focused on our buildings on our grounds. By the way, those things are in great need. But do you know what the most important thing that you can be, to, to, the most important thing that you can get involved in here for the body of Christ is in reaching others? Because the body of Christ is not made up of buildings. It's not made up of grounds. It's not made up of paint flecks. It's made up of people. And so, let me just encourage you let me encourage you. Don't just get involved in helping. Get involved in serving. Find a way to help people. Find a way to get involved in the lives of people. You know, that's why Nehemiah here records the names of so many people in these chapters. Because people were important. People were a necessary part of this event. This book is not just about the wall. And once the wall is built, it's all over. Why are we even reading Nehemiah anymore? No. The best has just started. Because now the people are equipped to do what they need to do for the cause of Christ. And likewise in our lives. Hey, we've, we've got things every single week that have to happen. Buildings need cleaned. Yards need mowed. Things need touched up. Every single week, there's a, there's a list of duties that have to occur. Just for this church to keep running in the way that we keep it running. But can I encourage you to help us keep the main thing the main thing? To find people to reach out to? To look for people in your life that are in need of Christ? You know, back to this topic of comfort. We talked about this a second ago. You know, it's never comfortable to reach out to people you've never talked to before. It's never comfortable to do that. It's not. It's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's not comfortable. And as Christians, look, we, we need people who take an initiative on a Sunday morning to, to stand over by our doors, by our exits, and greet people as they leave. 
to greet people as they come in and maybe to look for a visitor and say, look, I, man, I don't recognize you. Let me get your name. My name's Cameron, and uh, where are you from? And tell me about your family, and I see you've got little kids, and do you know where they need to go? Oh, you know, we got about 10 minutes before the service. Let me walk you to the children's area. Let me help you find the nursery. Let me walk you over this direction. We need people who take an initiative in the lives of the people who are coming in. We need people who volunteer of themselves. And, and praise the Lord, we have a lot of people who already do those things. But let me say, there is always room for people who need more. You know, someone who's been a blessing to my heart lately is, is Brother Ben Berklin. Um And he, just this morning, was asking me, and I really appreciate him, but he was asking me about a couple different people that have been coming to church and just asking where they're at and uh, encouraging me. And I, I appreciate that about him. But we need people who... People who take an initiative in the lives of people and care and just genuinely want to show the love of Christ to everyone around them. We'll stand at a door and smile and just say, we're glad you're here. To get people's phone numbers and to pray for them and to ask, what is it that you need? We need people who look for people throughout the week in their neighborhoods and care. You know, I was reading a book recently by Mark Deaver. Uh, he, he wrote a book called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, and he's a pastor here in America. And one of the things that he mentioned that really God's just been, God's been getting me is uh, he said that a healthy church will have people who are always watching for people that they can find a reason to interact with. Not just come across but to actively find a reason to interact with. And boy, that, that hit me hard. I've got a guy across the street from me. His name's Terry. An older guy. He's retired. And he has a beautiful yard. Okay? <laughs> if you ever drive down my street, you'll know which yard it is. I don't even have to tell you. Okay? You'll just know which, which door is Terry's door. Uh, and Terry has a beautiful lawn. But with lawn keeping comes what? Upkeep. Specifically, watering. Right now that we're in the 100 degrees. Tell you what, mark my words, 8 p.m. tonight, Terry's going to be out mowing his, or watering his lawn. He'll be out there. Now, it is easy in 2022 when the sun is beating down. How many of you have a garage? I love a garage. I park in my garage. Not everybody parks in the garage. I found that out the hard way. Uh, I've been made fun of for parking in my garage. I think you're crazy, but uh, that's just me personally. Uh, you know what it's like to get home and you pull into the garage? It's like the bat cave, isn't it? You're just like, yeah. Push a button, the door raises by itself. You're like, mm, yeah, mm, and you're driving in. The door closes behind you. Don't have to talk to anybody. It's awesome. But can I say, a good Christian is going to look for an opportunity to talk to someone, to develop a relationship, to find somebody who needs Christ. I know Terry needs the Lord. And it's easy for me to drive into the Batcave, but it's also pretty simple for me to make sure that I'm, I'm outside in my yard at 8 p.m. because I might just see Terry. And as Christians the body of Christ, we have a responsibility. 
And that responsibility is not just, to, not just to help the people that come into our doors, not just to help keep the facilities up to date, but to have a genuine love and a care for the people around us. Let's keep going. Matthew 6, verse 1 says, Take heed that ye do your alms, do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. We need faithful people. But the Bible says God notices even when people don't. So don't be afraid that your service will not be counted. Hebrews 6.10 says, For God is not righteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Now we're at the end of chapter 11. We still have a whole chapter left. Don't get scared. Don't get scared. It's 6 o'clock. We have plenty of time. We're going to move very, very quickly. I've got one more point to make. One more point. Here we go. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 21, tell us of the names of the priests that come up with Zerubbabel, the king there. Chapter 12, verses 22 through 26, records some of the chief Levites, some more of the Levitical records. Okay? Chapter 12, verses 27 through 30, is the, the preparation that they went through in order to give thanks, which we're about to read. Uh, the purification that was involved and making sure that they were ready to truly give thanks to God the way that they wanted to. Chapter 12, verses 31 through 42 says, uh, uh, gives us the two great companies of people. We find that Nehemiah took two great groups of people, split them in, uh, or took a great group of people, split them in two, set one group one direction down the wall, sent another group down the other direction down the wall, and these people took part in thanksgiving and singing. And read with me in verse 43. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 43 tells us. Here we go. Verse 43. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The wives also and the children rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. Great sacrifices. You know, it takes great sacrifices in the Christian walk for the body of Christ to reach its potential. It takes great sacrifices for God's church to reach the world for Christ. It takes great sacrifices. Can I say this? That God is the one who will make you rejoice with great joy? It starts with our sacrifice, but God promises here to make us rejoice with great joy. What do we have to do to get this great joy? We just have to notice. We just have to notice. God is constantly looking to give us the joy that we need in our lives. The peace that passes all understanding. The the joy. May your joy be full. God wants to give us this joy. But you know it's up to us to notice it? You know it's easy to get stuck I had, a, I had a boss once that used to describe it as getting your head stuck in the weeds. I have a tendency to do that. Maybe you're like me. Where you just see one thing. That's all you can see. And you're just tunnel vision about this one particular thing. You don't see the overarching thing that God has done. Hey, can I encourage you? If you're like me, take a step back. Take a look at your life and what God has done. Take a second to notice what, what, what great works God has wrought in your life. And be encouraged by what God has done, is doing, and will continue to do. Hey, God will give you the joy, but you've got to take the time to notice what God has done for you. Hey, for the Israelites here, they've had this point in time. 
They've had the walls built. The temple's, con- the, the temple's complete. There's 10,000 of them now living in Jerusalem. And so all of them there, there's no greater time for them to notice right now, look at what God has done in these last few years. And can I say, here at our church, here in your lives, take some time and reflect on what God has done in your life. I'm so thankful for what God has brought me through. I'm so grateful for the place that God has brought me to. I'm so grateful for the family that God's given me. And, and, and just everything that God has orchestrated, things that I would not have in a million years chosen for myself, and yet I am so grateful Amen. that God brought me to where I am. And my guess is many of you feel the same way. But would you take the time to reflect on what God has done for you and rejoice in those things? You know, the, the Bible says here in Nehemiah, verse 43 here in chapter 12, that the people rejoiced so greatly that people could hear them from far away. When was the last time that you rejoiced about something so greatly that people came around to see what you were so excited about? God has done great works in our lives. We've got to take the time to notice. We've got to take the time to stay focused. And people will come around to find out what it is that you've got. Verses 40 through 447 just uh, lays out a couple of the duties that Nehemiah had planned from that point forward. But today as we close, four different areas. Four different needs that God may be speaking to you about. One, maybe you need to get out of your comfort zone. Maybe that's your prayer. God, I need to get out of my comfort zone. I've been too comfortable I've been too focused on what benefits me. I've been too focused on what's good for me. I need to get an outward perspective. I need to stop looking at myself, and I instead need to look at the lives of the people around me. Maybe comfort isn't your issue. Maybe you need to take a step out, and you need to serve. Maybe you need to get involved in the church and uh, take a role teaching Sunday school, being involved in outreach. July 2nd's coming up. Maybe you need to take a real step in sharing your faith, standing out by the doors and greeting people as they come in, getting involved in a special way. Maybe you need to have a heart for the people who are around you. And even as I talked, maybe God laid in your heart somebody at work, a desk that's nearby you, someone you interact with on a regular basis where with just, just a little extra effort, you can make sure you had just a few extra minutes to spend with them on a weekly basis. Maybe God is working on your heart about reaching out to the people that you interact with on a regular basis. Or lastly, maybe you need to reflect on what God has done for you. You haven't been joyful. You've had your head stuck in the weeds. You've been too focused on you and what's going on right here, right now. And you need to take a step back and realize that God's in control. God knows what's happening. And God will bring the increase. And we'll reflect on what God has done for us. If you would stand to your feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. Here in just a minute, the piano is going to play. When the piano plays, if God's speaking to your heart, can I encourage you to come to an old-fashioned altar and pray and ask God to speak to you about what He would have you do? Maybe you're too comfortable. Maybe you need to serve. Maybe you need to to have a better heart for the people around you. Maybe 
You just need to reflect on what God's been doing for you in your life. In whatever area, as you stay at your seats, as you come to the altar and pray, would you take a minute and ask God to speak to you? Point out any areas of your life where you need some extra help. love you. Thank you for all you've done for us. God, I pray that in any area where we are struggling, where any are discouraged, that you would bring comfort. God, anywhere that we are too comfortable, I pray that you would move us, that you'd push us, that you'd guide us. Lord, in areas where we notice a particular need, that you would help us to stand up and to cover that need and to work hard to help you and your church and your body of Christ. And I pray that you'd help make us profitable. And that you help make us, God, into what you'd have us to be. And we'll give you the honor and the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We've got a quick video to watch, and then we'll be dismissed. to join us for God and Country Day on Sunday, July 3rd. We'll have patriotic services with special music at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. There will also be a picnic at Rivercrest Park in Oregon City from 5 to 8 p.m. Please help us in bringing plenty of side dishes and desserts. Mark your calendars for the Lord's Army Vacation Bible School. It will be Monday through Wednesday, July 11th through 13th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. If you would like to be a part of this children's outreach or if you would like to register your child, stop by the welcome desk after the service. Join us in supporting the men on our summer softball teams. Games start Saturday, July 9th at 5 p.m. at Wesleyland Park in Oregon City. Don't miss out on the churchwide outreach Saturday, July 2nd at 10.15 a.m. Join us for a delicious breakfast and an opportunity to share your faith in our community. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you and you will receive the gift card. Have a great week and we'll see you Wednesday night at 7. Well, thank you so much for coming. You are dismissed. God bless you.